And so, so we're continuing in the, in the same series that we've been on, now how to study our Bibles. Uh, we've been just chipping away at this, just one small section at a time, hoping that, uh, you know, that, uh, that the essence of, of what we're going for is really sinking in. At some point, I'll, I will get to, well, in this service, I had started to show you eSword and, and how to walk through that program. If you haven't had a chance to look at that online, I would encourage you to do that and even to download that to your own computers. And, you know, we'll get to a point again here soon, perhaps next week, you know, where I'll start to walk through that program and kind of how that helps me to understand the Word of God a little bit better. You know, but before we, before we get to the tools, I've been trying to give you different principles for how we even approach the Word of God in the first place. You know, there have been a number of folks who I've come in contact with over the years who have of a self-proclaimed love for the Word of God. They read the Word of God, and they're probably even diligent to read it on somewhat of a daily basis, but then sometimes they'll come with, you know, with an interpretation of that Word that's really erroneous. You know, and, and I think, man, this is somebody who has a, a love for the Word of God. They're, they're trying to be diligent to serve the Lord and to, you know, to, and to read and do the things that they know are, are, are right to try to get to know Him. But in the end, they're not coming to the right conclusions. And so what I'm hoping to do is to roll out a pattern for you to approach the Word of God so that you come to the right conclusions. My conclusions. <laughs> if I didn't believe my conclusions were right, I wouldn't be able to take the stage and tell you. <laughs> But I come to my conclusions via the pattern that I'm attempting to lay out for you. So, so we had three different concepts related to over the last several weeks. The first one was that we come to the Word of God, you know, not to sharpen our theology, not, to, not because it's some religious expression, but because we are really indeed in this thing for relationship. You know, and the reality to the Word of God is that it, it's, like a, it's like a crazy sharp knife in the, in the hands of a skilled surgeon. I, I can't tell someone said that a long time ago, and it's just an excellent way to say that or to describe the Word of God, a, a, a ridiculously sharp knife in the hands of a skilled surgeon. And the reality is that I find myself on the operating table out of love. And there's stuff that's in me that's a carryover from the old man. The old man's dead, but the old patterns of behavior need to die too. How many of you know that, right? And so I find myself on the operating table because I love him and because there's stuff that I find in my life that just needs to be cut out. It needs to go away. You know, there's, there's patterns of thinking. There's old patterns of behavior. There's, there's just stuff that needs to be broken off of my life. And so I come into this place out of relationship where I allow him to take the sword of the spirit and to begin to, with, with careful execution, remove the things that I should no longer have, the things that have come and have attached to me through my worldly ev- education prior to Jesus. I mean, m- many of you know what I'm talking about. You know, and, and slowly, one piece at a time, removing those things. But we have to understand that in our relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not all about what God can take from you. You're not slaves. He hasn't created you to be slaves. That's not the system that we've operated into. You know, he's not the, he's not the king of kings who comes to you and says, you're going to do what I've told you to do, or I'm going to put you in the gallows. Like, this is not the king that we serve. We come to this place where we realize as we're on the operating table that, first of all, I'm there out of love. In other words, these things that are being cut out of my life, they offend him. And I don't want to offend the one I'm in love with because that's how love relationships work. But I find out also this king of kings and my relationship with him, that those things that he's cutting out of my life are things that I don't really want to keep anyways. These are things that ultimately keep me from being able to enter into the abundance of life that he has literally died and paid for me to have. These are things that keep me from entering into my destiny, from, that hinder me, that are anchors, that drag, like balls of, you know, like ball, the ball of chains. <laughs> Hi, babe. 
the, the, the ball and chain that makes it difficult for us to walk through life, you know? It's, it's, he's, not taking st- he's not taking stuff from me that I need. He's not taking stuff from me just to prove that he's God. Like, I'm the, you know, I'm the mega warlord God. You're going to do what I say or else. Kind of, this is not the God we serve. He's taking things from me that hinder me from entering fully into the depths of relationship with him that, are, that become a, it's a blessing to me. Like, when it, the, the more of this stuff that he pulls out of my life, the more that I find that I'm entering into peace that goes beyond understanding. You know, the more that he pulls this stuff out of my life, I realize that I have freedom. You know, freedom from perfection. That's something he's been working with me on lately. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know I had that in me, but he's working on it. He's removing it. And there's such freedom in that place. And the, you, you find that as he begins to remove another bad apple from your tree, that you're, that you're entering into joy, maybe for the first time, as he removes these bits and pieces. See, so they're not things that you've wanted in your life. They're not things that you've needed in your life. They may be things that you believe are part of your identity. But that's why he's such a skilled surgeon, because he's able to separate those things from you in such a way as you realize, oh wait, that wasn't my identity, that was just really bad fruit. And look at the freedom that I'm now experiencing because of it. So we read for relationship, because I love him and he loves me. The second point that we've brought up is that the word of God is spiritually appraised. I don't know if we got to that last week, or I don't know how long we've been at this, but... <laughs> it all merges together. But the word of God is spiritually appraised. And we talked about last week, maybe, that we can't approach the word of God intellectually only. You know, and in fact, we see this with, with Jesus and the Pharisees. He had a dialogue with them, right? He said, You search the scriptures. And I'm telling you, if anybody knew the scriptures, it was the Pharisees, right? I mean, they knew them inside and out. They understood the entire Pentateuch, the Old Testament, and the laws and the prophets, everything that they had. They knew it really, really well. And he says, In these things, you thought that you had life. Wait a second. You're saying that there's not life in the Word of God? He said, But it was these that testified of me. And I'm standing before you, you don't even recognize me. See, the reality is if we approach the Word of God intellectually, we'll come to conclusions that are, and ultimately that are in contrast to relationship. We'll come to conclusions, good theology, stuff that looks really good, but in the end, it's really void of relationship. We can't come only intellectually. The study of the Word of God has to be a spirit-to-spirit connection, and if it's not that we're going to find that we don't have the right interpretation, that we're not coming to the right conclusions. And just like the Pharisees, when Jesus stands right in front of us, we won't recognize him. And how often have we seen this happen, especially with revival history? Over and over again, we see a new revival breaks loose with a new generation, and God's maybe doing something slightly different or slightly new. And the old generation, who had something slightly different and slightly new, persecutes the new ones and say, that can't possibly be God. Because in my rigid worldview, I've put down a box that says God has to work like this. He has to look like this. Like this is, this is approaching the word of God intellectually. I have an intellectual box that has to look like this. And if it's not that, then it's not God. And how many of you know we have missed the mark more often than not? You know, we, it's a spirit-to-spirit connection with God. This is a daily thing. It's your, your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's not a spotlight into my future. That means that I daily have to commune with him. And that if I'm not communing with him on a daily, at least a regular basis, I'm not going to understand what he's saying to me. I'm not going to understand the word of God that's plainly presented before me because I need the spirit of God to be able to interpret that which is spiritually appraised. So we talked about that, I think, last week. The other thing that we started to get into was that the, that, the, uh, that the character of God becomes a 
uh, becomes a filter. You could call it a number of things, but it becomes a filter or, or becomes the lenses by which I begin to view not only the Word of God, but also my life and the experiences, the encounters that I have throughout my life. And we got into the fruit of the Holy Spirit just a little bit. Do you, do you remember that? Just doing a bit of a review here just to make sure we're on the same page. We got into the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The reality is that the Holy Spirit is God's Spirit. Can we, can we, like, they are one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three different persons in one. They're one. This is His Spirit. This is Him. In other words, He is love. He is joy. He is peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and self-control. He, he not only embodies them, he literally is those things. He cannot be separated from them. And so when we come to any interpretation, whether that be in life or in the scripture that we're reading, that is outside of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we're wrong. Although the facts aren't in yet, something's messed up, and we've got to take that interpretation that we have and lay it back at the feet of Jesus and say, no, look, I know that your love and joy and peace and patience, this doesn't look like it's lining up with those things. Reconcile that for me because I'm grounded on the Word of God, and I have those glasses on. I view everything from, from the Genesis to Revelation through the fruit of the Holy Spirit. You are really that good. You're good. Now, it, it, it's It's simple. It really is this simple. Bill Johnson says it in, in a way that's as simple as I've heard anybody say. He says, God good, devil bad. I'm here to tell you that God really did intend for you to be able to discern that which is good and that which is bad. He's given you the capacity to be able to make that judgment or that determination on your life and on him and on those that are around you. You know what's good and you know what's not, all right? Do you, you, are you, because so often we come into this cop-out place where we go, well, this is really tragic and horrible. His ways aren't my ways. His, this is the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Good really is good. Look, God said that all good things come from him, right? He didn't say all horrible, terrible things. That, you know, he said he would work those things for good, but he said if he's going to send it, it was going to be good in your life. Am I wrong? So if God's the one who's saying to you, what I, what I am sending you is good, doesn't it presuppose that you would have the capacity to identify that which is good and that which is bad? So making the statement that his ways are not my ways is a cop-out for a lack of understanding of what you're seeing in front of you is that indeed. It's a cop-out. It's ignorant. It doesn't make any sense in light of the written and plain word of God that says he's good and I've given you the capacity to judge via the, via the fruit of the Holy Spirit that which is good and that which is evil. He even tells us that we, through, through, the, uh, through means of use, we sharpen our own senses to what? To sense good and evil, right? You have the capacity to be able to make a determination on those things that are good. Let's, let's just take any example. Let's, what about disease and sickness? Would there be anybody who would raise their hand in this audience or any audience who would say when they're sick, yeah, this is a good thing? Right? But so many people would be able to, they would go, well, well maybe, maybe that's, that's not that's, that's good. But, but look at all these great good things that God did out of it. Look, the reality is this. Just because I got a day off of work because I was sick, 
doesn't make the sickness good. It just means that God is good, right? It doesn't mean that the thing that you've been inflicted with was somehow good. It just means that God, as Gwen is, is pointing out, is so infinitely creative in his ability to take it and work it for your good, for those who are called according to his purposes. Now, I hate to use this example, but we have to, I feel it's an excellent one as it relates uh, to this concept, so ladies, forgive me in advance, but you know, what if you, what if you have a lady who, who gets raped, and because of that rape, she conceives a child, a beautiful child, somebody that looks like Josiah, is, that, is there any, we've got competition here, but I'm sorry, it's my son, so I'm partial, is there anybody better looking than that little boy, <laughs> you've got a strong second, I mean, it's like right there, neck and neck, <laughs> You know, so, so, so out of this horrific event is birthed something like Josiah. And let's take that a step further. Let's just say that this Josiah, this new Josiah, who, who's amazing and who's a joy and who's beautiful and perfect and just this just amazing little guy, and he goes on to become the president of the United States. And as the president, he finally balances the budget. <laughs> because if he's Josiah, he has to be conservative. <laughs> Does that make the incident good? Not at all, does it? So we use graphic examples like this because it creates clear dichotomy in our minds. Because we can go, oh, there's no way. It's, it's abominable. There's no way that I could ever say that that was good. Surely there was good that came out of it, but that, that was not itself good. Then it can't be God. It, it, it really is this clear, okay? Just because he has the infinite creative ability to work this thing for good and to give us the next best president because of this horrific event, that just makes God good. It doesn't mean that the rape or the initial incident was good. God is good. The devil is bad. It really is that clear. Let's, let's just use our simple discernment, our simple common sense that God gave us. It isn't part of his master plan. It isn't something that he's put together you know, for his purposes in your life. Good is God. Bad is the devil. Let's be clear and make this separation. Jesus Christ himself, as it related to sickness, came and said that he came to heal all those oppressed of the devil. You think about it. He came to heal every single one. Heal meaning that he was addressing the issue of sickness in the earth. All of those who were oppressed by who? The Father in heaven who decides to release these things into your life to somehow sharpen your character, to work some good for his infinite divine plan of purpose into your life. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It doesn't say that. It says he came to heal every single person who was oppressed by who? Well, let's make this real clear. Sickness? Well, that's good. Good. It's all of that. Bad and sickness devil. You got it. Healing? Good. And God, it really is that clear, isn't it? Well, let's keep it that clear as we walk out our lives, as we look at the circumstances that it sometimes bombard us. And let's not be tempted to be those who say, oh, well, God's ways aren't our ways. Because the moment that we do that, we've implicated him in some nasty, fiery trial that James says he's not a part of. Let none of you, when you're tempted, the word tempted meaning fiery trial... Let none of you, when you're, when you're in the middle of a fiery trial, point your finger at God and say, you're the one who sent this to me. James says, that's not God. Are you following me? 
And obviously all of this applies to our, to our reading of the word because we'll find some things in the word that seem like, what is this? What does that mean? And we can't come to the determination, oh, well, that must mean that you use sickness to bring about your purposes, or that you're the source of that to bring about your purpose. You know what I'm saying? Like, we can't come to those conclusions because it's, ex- it's mutually exclusive. It doesn't make any sense in light of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, in light of what Jesus did on the cross, and a number of other filters that we can apply to the Word of God. It just simply doesn't make any sense. So we have to reconcile that in another way. We can't cave in and, and allow our circumstances to begin, or, or even the Word that we read in that plain English, to begin to dictate a new doctrine to us. We have to remain grounded in this filter that we apply, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. What we're talking about here is, is setting a, or it's what I would call setting a scriptural baseline. You know, we, and you can, you can throw that next slide up there. We, it's kind of like this, really, as you, uh, as you go to the dentist, uh, the dentist, sorry, Greg, I just, isn't that funny how your brain does that? <laughs> I catch him out of my periphery, and I'm instantly, by the way, good dentist, if anybody needs one, so does an excellent job, gave me these teeth right here. So, so we go to the eye doctor, I mean, how many of you have been to the eye doctor? You know, man, look, come on, Jesus, heal us, we thank you that eyes are covered under that. That's a curse from the enemy, and those are lies that we've believed. Forgive us for that, and come and heal your people, God. We just submit ourselves under that. And so anyway, so a number of us have come to, you know, and have gone to the eye doctor, and you'll know that in that, obviously, you don't have contacts, you don't have glasses, and they're like, hey, take a look at the chart in the back, and you can't see squaws. You know, you, you might be able to see, I mean, if you're me, you can't, it's like a white page, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, do you have the chart out yet? <laughs> Wait, where are we? Who are you again? I can't, help me, I can't see. You know, it's really bad. And then he puts a set of lenses over our eyes, and, and I begin to see that chart more clearly, right? I can, I can begin to read it. And he puts one sets, uh, set of lenses over my eyes, and it begins to correct my vision, right? And, and then, if you're like me anyways, I don't know that this happens to everybody, once he begins to realize, okay, this set here, that corrects his vision, then he begins to add a secondary lens to it. Right? So he's like, okay, these are in place. Now, how about this? Is this better? Is this better? Is this better? You know what I'm saying? Right? He goes after it, but he's creating a second pattern, a second set of lenses by which I view the chart with. And every time I add a second set of, or another set of lenses, my vision or my outlook out there, the chart in this case, becomes even more clear. Is that making sense to anybody? Look, so when we're establishing a scriptural baseline, it's like we're there at the eye doctor and we put the first set of lenses in. You know, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Oh my goodness, I'm starting to be able to see pretty clear now. Now my vision's being corrected. Things are coming into alignment. What I once saw as a whitewashed wall, I'm now beginning to see some definition. I'm beginning to have something I can filter my interpretation through. And then he starts putting, you know, the longer we go, the more we understand this, this idea or these, these lenses that we put on our life for the interpretation of life and the Word of God become more in-depth and broader in nature. And every time we put another lens in, we can see that chart or we can see life and our end destination. We can see the truth of God inherent in the scripture in a way that we couldn't see unless we had those lenses in place. The second set of lenses, and, and you, you know it by now, that I like to apply in addition to the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which by the way, I think if that's your only lens or your only filter, like there's like nine of them, you're good. Like There's a lot. You know, That's a good filter. And this second one really is covered predominantly in that first, being the fruit of the Spirit. But the second one is this, the Father heart of God. And while it's pretty well covered in you're good, 
Goodness is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? You know, goodness and joy, all those things, they encapsulate this. But saying something that God is a father somehow puts a different spin or a different twist on that for me. And it allows me to view scripture in a slightly crisper light. My understanding by the second set of lenses coming in allows me to view the scripture that I see that much more clearly. Look, do you believe that it was a mistake that God called himself a father? I didn't call him a father. The word of God, which was God breathed, right? We breathed it into the apostles. It gets written down on paper eventually, right? So as God breathed this word that we have, these scriptures, which we know that we can trust, those things testify of him that he's a father. He created me. He created the system. He told Adam and Eve, for this reason, you'll leave and cleave your father and mother, right? So he's created a system whereby all of us on planet Earth would have a father. We've all been created in his image, right? So is there any mistake then, like, or does it make any sense for us to view God outside of this parameter or this lens that he has given us? If he himself has declared he's a father, he's instituted that system into the earth, this earthly image of that which is spiritual, doesn't it make sense for us to be able to look then at a natural earthly father and be able to ascribe those attributes to the heavenly father? After all, as it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. These things are just an earthly copy of the real true stuff that we find in heaven and he really truly is a good father so think about this think about these lenses for just a second what does it mean to be a good daddy what's it mean to be a good dad maybe maybe some of us didn't have a very good dad that doesn't mean you don't know what it means to be a good dad you didn't have one, think of all the deficit areas that you had, reverse that. The polar opposite is who he is to you. You know the Father God never misses one of your t-ball games? <laughs> He's the God who's there. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Even if your circumstances appear to be contrary, your circumstances are lying to you. He didn't miss the game. He didn't miss the birth of your child. He didn't miss your birth. In fact, he was intimately involved in the fashioning of you in your mother's womb. It's a part of the whole process. He's a father. He's there for you. Your father, your heavenly father, will never call you worthless. He'll never call you worthless. And in fact, he's proved quite the opposite of that. He sent his son to die for you, his son who was priceless. What does that say about you? This father would never look at you and say that you're worthless. And we find a scripture to that end. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, he says, What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over to, for us all, how will he not also give him freely, or excuse me, also with him freely give us all things. We're talking about the man who was able to take cussing, beat up fishermen and to see past all of that outer roughness and stinkiness to their potential and then before they were ready, release them as world changers. You're talking about the same God who's taken and separated your stuff as far as the east is from the west, who looks at you as if he's looking at his own son, Jesus Christ. 
how dare we stand and hold out anything like Moses and say, but God, you don't know about this. I don't know about that. I've removed that as far as the east is from the west. I see straight past that right to Jesus in you, and I'm calling you to be a world changer, a champion, and he's your champion. And if he's for you, who can be against you? Like This is the Father. These are the lenses that we've used Scripture from. This Father who's always with us, who's for me, who's my champion. He's the one in my corner. He's only speaking delightful things to me. He's only speaking to me that which is edifying and building up to me so that I can embody this great calling, this mighty calling that he's put on my life to be a world changer. He's the one who's in my camp who overlooks the stupid stuff that I do and says, that doesn't matter. It doesn't negate you. You're still going to be a champion. You're still my champion. You're still my son. Uh, And I'm going to be there for you at every step of the way. I'm going to be there at every ball game. I'm going to be there at your wedding. I'm going to be there. And he was. And he was. Recently, the, uh, we, uh, my whole team went down to uh, do Sozo's, or most of the team. We've got a couple that still need to do. We did Sozo's outside of our house. We allowed another church to do that. That, that just shows you the value that we've got for that ministry and that you know, we required all of our staff and leaders to go through that process. And, and, I, and maybe I've told you this before, but one of the most profound things that came out of that for me personally was we were talking about the Father God's interaction with me as I was growing up. And strangely, I find myself good at a lot of things. I can fix random stuff. Like, I don't know how to, nobody's ever taught me how to fix this. I, you know, I just kind of jump in and it works out and I think, hey, that's pretty good. And I just, it's a weird thing. I've always thought it was weird and I've always just kind of held it out there. And in that sozo, they said, look, the reason that you're able to do weird stuff like that is because the Father God taught you how to do it. The Father God imparted that skill to you as you were growing up. You thought that there was a, that there was a void there, but I was the God who was there. And Greg, I felt that for you this morning. He's the God, not, not only is he the God who's there, he's the God who's near. That's what I felt for you this morning. He's the God who's near. So we view scripture through this lens of the Father, and I'm going to have to wrap up with that, I think. And All right, I'm going to say two things, I think. The other day we were at the gym. We were at the gym, and, and I've got a backpack, and it uh, has all my clothes and shoes and whatnot in there. I usually change at the gym, not at the office, and, and, uh, and Josiah's there with us, you know. And so I decided it'd be funny to put my backpack with all my gym clothes, and Misty's too, on his back. And so I put it on his back. He's not even one years old. He's stumbling around walking, you know. And, uh, and he instantly goes... You know, and so I, I I grab him, I grab him as he as he's falling over, and, and, and again, as soon as I stabilize, you know, not to grab him again, and finally he just sits down and just collapses under the weight of the uh, of the gym bag. He didn't get hurt. Calm down, ladies. Okay, calm down. And my wife says to me, "Wow, the, the the funny thing is, most people view that as a picture of God." Can I just say to you that your heavenly Father? is not going to heap up such a weight that you can't carry it. He accused the Pharisees of this very thing, didn't he? You Pharisees, you whitewashed him, you, you heap up such a heavy load, you yourselves can't carry it, but you expect your disciples to carry it. The Father God 
as demonstrated through the life of Christ, accuse the Pharisees of this very thing. Yet you and I, and so many of those that are around you, we find ourselves in the thick of our circumstances. And the first thing that we do is we implicate God as the one who heaped up all of those heavy bags upon our shoulder. And we say something like, well, he won't give me more than I can handle. Who won't give you? Who won't give you more than you can handle? Are you really blaming God? Because the father that I know, he won't heap up a load that you can't carry. The father that I know, he's the one that when you're in the middle of the mud hole and you're battened down by all the weight of life, he's hooking a winch to you. And he's dragging you out of the pit that we got ourselves into. That's the father that I know championing you the whole time saying son daughter you can do this you can get to the other side this is what i've called you for this is you can do this you you're you know you're better than this don't don't give up in the midst of the thick of the stuff of life don't give up and the last thing i want to say is this and i'm saying it in a hurry now we find in a number of places that as we look at Jesus, we're seeing the Father, right? He says, do you not know me? Do you not know me by now? If you just, if you just see me, you've seen the Father. Because the Father and I were one. Hebrews tells us that he was the exact representation of the Father. So the Father God was walking in flesh, everything he said and everything he did. What's that tell you? That tells you as you apply this lens to your reading of Scripture and to your discerning of life around you, if it doesn't line up with the Gospels that declare the life of Christ, your interpretation is wrong. There's not one person that came to Jesus where he said, well, you know what, the the Father's actually working some stuff into you. Come back in a week. He said, be healed, go and sin no more. Every single time, without fail, we need to begin to recognize the Father heart of God and then rightly apply that lens to what we're reading and to what we're experiencing in life. Because your Father loves you with an unquenchable, fiery love. And there's nothing that you can do that's going to separate yourself from that kind of love. So let's pray. Father, we invite you. We ask that you would come, that you would open up our mind's eye, our heart's eye, to the reality of the God who was there. Where was God when? Begin to show us where you were then, God. For those of us going through trials right now, we ask that you would manifest yourself, even if it's in dreams, Father, in that realm. However it be, we ask that you would reveal where are you in the midst of these storms, Father. And we're asking for the impartation from the Father to be able to be the ones in the bow of the boat, sleeping in perfect peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.